0: We're in a series we're calling Called, and I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. While you're finding Acts chapter 9, I want you to watch this video that's going to set up what we're talking about today.
1: I'm starving. Glad to hear it. You're in the right place. Uh, now, I haven't been here before, so can you... Did you want me to help you with some of the selections? Yeah. Oh, I would be happy to. Okay. Uh, I'll start off with some... Some Jesus. Jesus. Great. Good place to start. And you can order them in two different ways. Oh. Tell me about that. Well, there's the original, the full serving of Jesus, and then there's our new Jesus Light. Uh, Jesus Light? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, what exactly? Makes it light. Yeah. It's the same Jesus, but without the hard to digest son of God status. A uh, son of. Son of God status? Yeah, some people have a hard time stomaching that.
0: <laughs> oh. Um, I'll
1: take it. Great. Now, how about. Ooh, that looks good. Uh, right there. Yeah, that's our 5149 bar. Yeah, what's that? Uh, it's our sweetest dessert. It's fantastic. It means that if 51% of your life is good and 49% of your life is bad, then you make it in.
0: Uh, make it in?
1: Make it in to heaven. Some people call it our good enough bar. Oh. It pairs really well with the Jesus light.
0: Okay, count me in.
1: Great. Now, did you want to try a side of the empty tomb? I'm sorry, empty? Empty tomb, it comes in two different varieties. The first is the Jesus fainted on the cross, the swoon theory. The second is the real deal, as in died and rose again. I'm sorry, uh, roast what? No, no, not roast, rose, rose, as in was eh, dead and then wasn't anymore. Uh, I've never
0: seen that happen, I better take the... Uh...
1: The swoon, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the swoon, fabulous. Okay, so now let's see where we're at. We've got one Jesus, hold the son of God, aside side of fainted on the cross, and one fifty-one forty-nine bar for desserts. Okay, and here's your total. Uh, whoa, um, that's expensive. Well, you could go with the full serving of Jesus, the empty tomb, and then skip the dessert. Okay. Uh, how much does that cost? No, that's free.
0: Uh, free? Yeah,
1: free to you. It's already been paid for
0: the message is this the call of jesus can be a hard and difficult call right we've been looking at places where people are called into following the lord giving their lives to the lord and so often what happens when the call comes in it's a hard call It's a difficult call, and the temptation then is to soften the call. And there's many ways that we soften the call. One of the ways that's very popular, and you've heard me speak about this before, if you've listened to any of my sermons, it's easy to get caught up in what's called the health and wealth gospel. And the health and wealth gospel is simply this, that if you give your life to Jesus, things get nice. Things get sweet. Things get comfortable. Everything about your life goes in an upward momentum at that point. And that's the health and wealth gospel. And and usually it's accompanied with lots of material trappings. Meaning that you will be successful by the definition of our American culture if you give your life to Jesus. And there are guys out there that you can hear preach this. And my one argument against that is that message may make sense in certain parts of our country but it does not make sense around the world and any gospel that cannot be preached around the world is no gospel at all any gospel that cannot be preached into every life into every heart regardless of conditions is no gospel worth preaching and yet we're still going to try And so today we're going to look at this hard call, and the first thing that I want you to know about the hard call is this. God's call will develop your character, not your comfort zone. When God comes calling your life, He is going to shape your character, who you are, what you're made of, how you respond in situations, but He will not grow and develop your comfort zone. In fact, we said time and time again, God calls us out of our comfort zones. And so today i want going to look at a man that God called. And you may be already familiar with him. There's a good chance you've at least heard his name. It's the, it's the Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul, who ends up writing most of our New Testament... At least most of the, the letters in the, that show up in our New Testament are from him. And the difference with Paul is that he did not begin that way. In fact, he began as a man named Saul. And when he was Saul, he was a Jew born in a city called Tarsus. And that made him also a Roman citizen, but he was a prominent Jew because he was part of what is known as the Sanhedrin. And he was on fire. If you wanted a guy at your church that could be on fire, this was Saul to become Paul. And he was so on fire for the Jewish religion, the Jewish faith, that when these Christians, these Christ-likeans that started coming along and they started saying that Jesus is Lord, he said, we've got to do something about this. We're not going to take some tolerance role where it just says, let's just see what happens. He says, we're going to go into motion. And so he gathered from the Sanhedrin the ability and the authority to have papers where he could go from town to town to town and he could actually hunt down and persecute, prosecute, torture, imprison those that held up Jesus as Lord. In fact, the first time that we meet Saul, is when there's a man named Stephen that was a follower of Jesus, and Stephen is preaching the good news of Jesus, and he gets drugged in front of the Sanhedrin. And they put him on trial. And they accuse him of all kinds of things. And he stands there and he takes it all and he says, and he preaches a sermon back at them that Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is right now sitting at the right hand of God. And that throws them into all kinds of fury. And so they drag him out. It's like... This, this trial is over, we've got our verdict, and it basically turns into a lynch mob. They drag him out and they begin to stone him. And what says, what the author of Acts tells us as he accounts that story is that there stood Paul and he was holding the cloaks, holding the robes of the men that were doing the stoning, giving his blessing and consent to this. So he's on fire. So with these letters in hands, what he does is he begins this journey, and he leaves out Jerusalem, and he's headed toward Damascus. Because there's been reports that there's Christians worshiping in Damascus, and he's going to go and stop that. And on the way, he gets his call. And it's a hard call. If you go to Acts chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 1. Says this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out. Look at this: murderous threats. Okay, we talk a lot about, about violence and language right now. Paul was very explicit. He's got threats that are threat. He is threatening the life of anybody that holds up the name of Jesus. Murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest. And asked him for letters to synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, and that's what the Christians were referred to, because they would claim, we have found the way. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? "'Who are you, Lord?' Saul asked. He gets this response. "'I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting,' he replied. "'Now get up. Go into the city, and you will be told what you must do.' The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus for three days.' He was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Paul has just had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, and it is totally reorienting his world. Because understand, this is the one that he was in very denial of. This is the one that he was actually saying when we put, or when the Romans put, somebody on a cross, it's finalized. He didn't swoon, he didn't faint. We killed him. He's gone. And you do not put Messiahs on crosses if they're real. If they're actually from God, they don't end up there. So this is blasphemy of the highest order to say that this Jesus that died on a cross, died this horrible death, that is blasphemy to say that he's Lord. And yet now here is Saul finding himself talking to this very Jesus being confronted by him saying, Why are you persecuting me? Can you even begin to imagine the 180 degree flip that's going on in his brain right now in that moment? And so when he stands up, there's a marker of the fact that he just encountered Jesus, and that's the fact that he cannot see, he's blind. And I think there's something powerful about that. What God is doing is God is saying, you can't see what you can't see. And so God is going to remove one of his senses for just the time being, and he's going to let Paul do some thinking. He's going to let Paul do some reflecting. And it's a way of saying, you've been blind to this all along, Paul. You've been blind to this, and now it's time to see it. For what it is and see what's most amazing to me and I hope this is an encouraging part of this message to you is that Paul Saul or to become Paul he is like the least likely person that you would think to receive a call he he would not be on any of our collective radars if we, if we all got together and had the big meeting and said, okay, we're going to vote on who's going to be our missionary, who's going to be our preacher, who's going to be the one that we send out into the world to carry the message. We would have a long list of people that we knew, that we loved, that we respected. Then we'd have a short list of people that we could tolerate. And then we may have some people on the list that, well, we know they're good speakers. And then we'd have several villains on the list, and then maybe at the end somewhere we'd actually include Paul. But we're not going to bring him into our circle because that's way too big of a threat. And yet to God, He sees us differently. God sees you differently. What appears like throwaway, what appears like disposable, what appears incongruent to us, what appears like trash to us is a treasure in heaven. I've shared this story before. This picture that I've got here is um, from a famous iconic scene from uh, Antique Roadshow. This guy is Ted Kuntz, the one that owns this blanket. He brings this blanket in to the roadshow. He's wondering if there's any value in it, and he discovers at the roadshow that it is a Um, original Navajo chief wool blanket and in this episode he learns from the appraiser that this blanket can easily go for five hundred thousand dollars half a million dollars to which he responds wow we've had it on the back of the couch I've used this illustration before and I love this illustration. So when I went back to review it, I I learned that there'd been an update to the story. Another man watching this named Lauren Kreitzer saw this episode and said, "That looks like a blanket that I have." And he remembers his mom or his grandmother, I mean, chasing kittens that had been born to round them up in this blanket. This blanket, or a blanket similar to this one, is one that he, he, they called it the car blanket. That's the blanket they just kept in the car. You know how your car is? It's got Cheetos down there. So he goes gets this blanket out of the car. He finds an appraiser on his own because he thinks, well, maybe mine's worth something. His turns out to be $1.5 million dollars. At auction. What we see. Is discardable. As trash. Heaven sees. As treasure. And if Paul. Has access to grace. Here's what we need to know. Everyone. Is a candidate. For God's grace. Everyone. Everyone is a candidate for God's grace, even you. And that may be the message that you need to wrestle with today, that there's a call on your life, and God is in pursuit of you because he wants to show you his grace. And if Paul, the one that was murdering the church, can receive his call, can receive his grace, so can you. Because heaven sees it differently than we do goes on. He answers this way. <clears throat> in Damascus, now the, she, the scene shifts from Paul on the side of the road into the, the town, the city of Damascus. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house on Jude, of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias, that's you, come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Now, have you ever heard one of those moments, or have you had one of those moments where you sense God's wanting you to do something, but what you think is God doesn't have enough information? You ever try to supply God with more info? Okay, Ananias is sitting there taking it, because Ananias... He, he's receiving communication from the Lord. You know he, he's excited. Got a mission for you, Ananias. He's receiving a hard call, and he doesn't know it just yet. Okay, I want you to go to, to, to House of Judas on Straight Street. Got it, Judas Straight Street. I know the place. I'll go three blocks over. I got it. You're going to meet a man there. Awesome. Can't wait. I know. What do you want me to do, God? His name's Saul of Tarsus, and Ananias gulps. He goes, <laughs> God, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man. Maybe you haven't. And all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. God, are you, have you read the reports? The Lord says, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and the kings, to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much, and this is what I want you to underline in your Bibles how much he will not succeed, not prosper, not be awesome, but how much he will suffer for my name. So Ananias has to do a difficult thing. This is a hard call for Ananias because he doesn't know if he's risking his life. He doesn't know if he's risking imprisonment. He doesn't know if he's betraying the rest of the believers that are there. And if I go and I bring Paul or Saul into the the group here, what what if this whole thing's a ruse? So Ananias has to go and he has to speak on Saul's behalf. And he has to stand up for him. Has anybody been an Ananias in your life? Has anybody been an Ananias where everybody else had written you off, but somebody else comes alongside you and stands up for you and speaks on your behalf? Or maybe you've been an Ananias for someone else, or perhaps that is a call that's before you right now to stand up and speak on behalf of someone else. finishes this way. So Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell off his, from Saul's eyes and he could see. Again, he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Ananias goes. He is faithful. He sees what he's doing. And he prays over Saul. And his sight is restored. And he's been three days. Thinking and praying. And his whole world is upside down now. So he begins this process. Of knowing and understanding who Jesus is. And what Acts tells us going forward. Is that, that moment. That. Saul begins to have life as Paul. He's not called Paul just yet, but he's about to be. And he moves forward into this call. In fact, look at this. Look at what it says that goes to the next verse. At once, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. He's had three days to come face to face with this fact. And so now filled with the Holy Spirit, at once he begins to preach. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. What I would suggest is that when you live out the hard call of Jesus, it baffles people it throws them for the loop because that's a different standard than we're used to. Thought a lot about this hard call this week. There's some heroes that I want to share with you. One is a guy named Jim Elliott. And you may have heard of Jim Elliott a few years back. There was a movie that was made about his life called Into the Spear. Jim Elliott... Was a passionate young missionary called to Ecuador in 1956. He and four other men took their families, moved moved to Ecuador, and began to reach some unreached people deep in the jungle. Nate Spain was one of the men in the group, and he was a Nate Saint. Sorry, was one of the men in the group, and he was a he was a pilot. And so, in a little Piper aircraft, they would fly over, and they would they located the Akua tribe. So they called it. Operation Akua. This was a very hostile group. And they, through a loudspeaker in the plane and dropping out gifts, they began to build a relationship. They thought it was going to be safe to land. And so one day they set up, they plan the five men go and they find a sandy beach, they land the plane on, they set up camp and they wait for the, the tribe to come greet them. First comes two women and a man and they exchange Greetings. In fact, they even take the man up in the plane and show him what it is to ride in the plane. Obviously, that was his first time ever. And they think they're making some great progress when a few days later, the tribe comes back. It's, this time, it's ten warriors. And they're there to kill the missionaries. And the missionaries had already decided that even though they had weapons with them to protect them from animals, they would not ever, ever use the weapons against the tribesmen because they did not want to kill somebody that did not yet know Jesus. And so they would rather spare their or sacrifice their own wives. So all five men, in a matter of minutes, were w- wiped out on that beach. You would think the story would end right there. But Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, and the other widows with their families, two years later, they returned. And they began to preach the gospel of Jesus. And the tribe came to faith and we look at that and go how crazy is it that you would do something like that but jim elliot has this famous quote that i love so much he says he is no fool who grows who gives up what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose and there's the hard call where do you get something like that the other one i tell you about is a guy named william borden This is a picture of William Borden. He graduates high school in 1904. And he is the heir to the Borden fortune made in silver mining. And so he has afforded all the luxuries this world and this country could offer at that time. For his high school graduation, his mom and dad give him a round-the-world cruise. And something unexpected happens to him on the cruise as he travels around the world... He begins to see people that don't yet know Jesus, and he has a heart for them. And so when he comes back, he decides that when he goes off to Yale, he's going to become a missionary in the name of Jesus. And so while he's at Yale, he becomes, he becomes very prominent on campus, begins to lead a student revival, begins to set up Bible studies and mission groups, ...that are praying for God to overtake the Yale campus and then overtake the world. And when he keeps getting questioned about... ...about, yeah, but you come from some, somebody so wealthy. You know, you've got all of the fortune. He decides that he's not going to count on any of his wealth. And so, he decides to, to renounce his wealth. And not leverage that for his own comfort, for his own good. And so, he takes his Bible... And he goes and he writes two words in the beginning of his Bible. He says, no reserves. He says, he's not going to hang on to that. As his mission work there on the campus grows, he becomes familiar with the Muslim population in China. And God grows that in his heart, and he decides that he needs to be a missionary to China to work with the Muslims and tell them about it. Jesus. And this is to the contrary of his parents. His dad assumed he would come home to work the family business. He had lucrative job offers coming in because of his family name. And in a moment of personal reflection and commitment once again, as he sets his face to become a missionary upon graduation from Yale, he writes in his Bible no retreats. On his way to become a missionary, or on his way to China, he stops off in Egypt because he needs to learn Arabic. And so while he's in language school in Egypt, in Cairo, he gets spinal meningitis. And due to less care and inability to overcome this disease, at the age of 25, William Borden dies. And the story that is told that as his effects came back home, they opened his Bible. And here's this young missionary or the young man that had every promise that the American dream had for you. Wealth and status and prestige. And when they looked in his Bible, they saw no reserves, no retreats, and they saw that he added before his death two more words. that says no regrets. No regrets at a life given to the hard call. So the last thing that I want you to understand is this. Here's the theme of it all. Following Jesus, we may be stuck. Following Jesus does not guarantee a life of comfort, safety, success, power, or pleasure. Following Jesus does not guarantee a life of comfort, safety, success, power, or pleasure it does guarantee a life you will not regret. There's the promise. That you can go through this life without regret. And there are so many that you can talk to that they would say if they had a chance to do something different, even though they have achieved great success in the eyes and the scorecard of the world, they would say, I would trade it in because my life is full of nothing but regrets. Here's a life of no regrets. Regret. One more story. Came across this one, and I didn't know this one, but there was a revival that went on in Wales. And these missionaries from Wales spread out, and one of the places that these missionaries went was, was to northeastern India. And there in the northeastern India, they found a tribe known as the Gora tribe. And the Gora tribe was a very hostile tribe, much like the the Akua people. And these missionaries worked and worked and worked, and finally one family converted. And his name was Noxing, the father of this family. And Noxing converts and gives his life to Jesus, and the tribe is very upset. And since they're very communal, what it means is if one says that our gods are not our gods anymore. It brings reproach on the whole tribe and everybody, because very collective and communal, and so the, this is a problem. So the chief gathers around the tribe and they go and they confront them. They're basically under arrest at this point, and they drag them out of the home. They said, "You will renounce this Jesus. You will renounce, or you will suffer the consequences." And they're threatening execution of his family there in front of him. And in his language, Noxine says, I've decided to follow this one known as Jesus. He has two boys. They're executed in front of him. They begin to threaten his wife and say, You will renounce this one. And he says, he says, you'll lose her too. And he says, you are bringing this on all of us. Or they say, you're bringing this on all of us. And his reply, once again, in their language is, even if no one goes with me, still I will follow Jesus. And with that, they take the life of his wife. And they say... We are taking everything that you have in this world. Now we will take your life. Will you follow? Will you renounce this one? And he says these words. He says, It's the cross that's in front of me. This world and all that it has to offer is now behind me. There is no turning back from his decision and with that he loses his life some of the others when they heard his story some of the other missionaries there they took those words his final words and they wrote them in a hymn the hymn made it all the way to and was translated it's I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back There is coming a day when we will stand before God. And as we stand before God, we will stand there with Stephen, the first martyr. And with Jim Elliott. And with William Borden. And with Singh. And we will stand there in that moment. And here's what scares me to death. In that moment as I stand among these heroes of faith, am I going to be thinking about all the times that I complained about something? I I love you, but every now and then I'll get these emails. The air conditioner was up too high. We didn't sing songs that I liked. I'm not happy about this. I'm not happy about that. And, And... Please understand this comes from a place of loving you. In that moment, when you stand there and there's William Borden and Jim Elliot and Elizabeth Elliot and Knox Singh and Stephen, are you going to want to have sent that email? Following Jesus does not guarantee you safety, security, wealth, power, pleasure, none of that, but it does guarantee you a life that you will not regret. If you would let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the hard call that Paul answered. May we respond the same way. Father, thank you for ones that have gone before us and have proven that this is a life worth living. This is a life worth pursuing and that your grace is so worth it. So, Father, I pray for anyone here that's resistant to the call. Anyone here that's hearing this message that wants to push back and say it's not for me. It's, the demand's too high. The expectation's too much, Father. I, I feel like I'm going to give up so much. Would you show us that it's all for nothing? The things of this world, the things that we cling to so tightly do not matter. And would you help us to embrace That call. Father, I am grateful that Paul was willing to walk away from the life that he had, a life that was of power and of success and of influence, to live the life of one that was imprisoned and beaten and shipwrecked and outcast, one that was preached against and one that ultimately lost his life in your name. Father, I'm so grateful that he was faithful to that call because now we have his words and his testimony. And because he encountered Jesus, he told us about that encounter and he preached him faithfully. May we do the same. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.